We need to understand how important it is for us to embrace Bible prophecy, to understand what Bible prophecy teaches us, what it's all about. Because Bible prophecy does a number of things that are absolutely critical, especially for the day in which we live. We've already seen in a previous broadcast that Bible prophecy demonstrates that God is sovereign, that God is really in control because he has told us what the future holds. And the only way that he can tell us that is he's in control of it. But then when we see things get chaotic and confusing, you stop and you say, is God really in control? And that's why we're able to turn to a number of passages that demonstrate that he is. I think of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. It's talking about how God's going to deal with all the nations of the world. Why can this be said? Because God is sovereign. He knows what's coming in terms of the nations and their opposition, and he knows what he is going to do because he is sovereign. And we have other passages that we can turn to and we can embrace this reality. For example, Isaiah 40, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? And it goes on and on. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is the one true and living God. And we also see that Bible prophecy demonstrates the sovereignty of God. It also validates the veracity of the truthfulness and the supernatural character of the scriptures, which come from God, that we can look at the word of God and say, this book is totally unique. Now, we live in a day in which everything that is true will come under attack. You know that, right? And we can see this attack being leveled against the Word of God. It's been going on for a long time, but I would suggest to you it's intensifying in this day. And there's a number of reasons why God is allowing that. But when we look at what the Bible says, and then we see how many prophecies have already been fulfilled very precisely, then we see, hey, wait a minute, there's something going on here. And we can demonstrate that these prophecies were hundreds of years before even the birth of Jesus Christ, let alone his death, burial, and resurrection. There's another reason, though, that we need to, to understand the importance of Bible prophecy, because it gives us perspective. What is your perspective on what's going on in the world? Well, my perspective is that we've got to do something in our country. And, well, that, that's true. We need help in our country. But pull back a little bit. Know what the Word of God says. And what's going to happen is you can begin to have a divine perspective on current events. What's happening? When I get up in the morning, I say, Lord, show me what you're doing in this world. You look at what's taking place. And, of course, the Middle East is absolutely vital when it comes to the geopolitical settings of the end times. And you begin to see what is happening. Every time you look, you see that Israel is in the land and is surrounded by enemies. And you, just, you can see that God has a time frame, and you can begin to place where we are in that time frame. 
Now, again, we always want to be avoiding the setting of dates, which some people have done and have done so to the discredit of Bible prophecy. But we certainly can see the season. We can see the the general time frame. Now, let me put a couple of passages in front of you that give us a divine perspective on current events. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 29, there is a statement the Apostle Paul makes about marriage relative to the end times. Now, I hope you have studied 1 Corinthians 7, very important passage. Uh, the, the Corinthian letter is written in response to a letter we don't have, so there are some difficulties in interpretation. But we see the importance of marriage to avoid immorality, to have a good, healthy relationship as a married couple. We see that singleness is a gift that God gives to some, but if you cannot maintain purity, you should be married. And so there Paul also talks about when there's an unbelieving spouse, whether he's going to stay with you as a believing spouse and how you handle this. There's a lot there. But here is a passage I've only heard preached one time, and it impacted me just taking it in. The Apostle Paul was anticipating the Lord's return. It's obvious. He didn't know the time frame. He he wasn't expecting a couple thousand years, it seems. He was looking for the Lord's return. And here's what he writes, and he's writing about marriage and how married couples ought to live. But he has just made the statement that singleness is expedient. In other words, because, as Paul saw it, we're at the end times, you know, not being married is a good thing because you can have pure, undivided devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. But now he's going to say a word to married couples, and this is fascinating. It goes this way, verse 29, 1 Corinthians 7. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Now see, what is Paul doing? He knows God has a time frame. He believes the time frame is very short. Certainly from God's perspective, it is. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. But you notice what Paul was doing. He has a perspective on what was going on in the world, and his perspective said, there's not a whole lot of time left. And so he said, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as those who were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal in the world as though they had no dealings with it, What in the world is Paul saying here? He is talking about the single life is unencumbered because once you get married, you build the household, and so much of your life revolves around building that household, including family. God blesses it. It's a gift from God. But singleness has its advantages. That's what this is saying. Now, in this case, he's saying, well, what about the couple that does get married? And Paul's perspective is, you know, we are at the end of the age. And in light of this, he says, let those who are married live as if they're not, in essence. What Paul is saying is, hey, don't, um, don't abandon your marriage relationship, but have a marriage relationship where the two of you have such simplicity of lifestyle that you too are unencumbered by the things of the world so that you are freed up to live for the Lord. Now imagine if we were to apply this as couples where it says, and those who buy as though they had no goods. In other words, we don't get taken in by the commercialism of our world. 
And then it says, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. In other words, we don't get taken in by the world system, even as a married couple. And that's what Paul is saying. Now, the application of this could get rather interesting in a given marriage. I have to say, my dear wife has been very accepting of me. And I tend toward ultimate simplicity and minimalistic lifestyle. And she is like most women, wanting to build a a nice nest for her family with certain conveniences and comforts. And she's, she's very careful with that. Her priority is the, the love she has for the Lord. And we do our best not to be taken in by the world. Then the, the last statement Paul makes in verse 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. So why are we living for this world? Now there are other passages that, that also capture this idea that prophecy gives us perspective on our times. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, which is saying look carefully at how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So we should be applying divine perspective on how we live. Then it says making the use of the time, the best use of the time, the time that you have, the time that I have, because the days are evil. Now, you know, maybe 10 years ago, if we would have said because the days are evil, a lot of us would have said, yeah, they, they are evil. We have, you know, we have homosexual marriage and all this. Uh, what would you say today when you look at the evil? When you look at abortion, when you look at uh, the deviation from the created order, the creation that God gave to us, evil is rampant. What's our perspective? It's divine perspective, right? The Bible told us this is coming. First Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, the end of the age, and again, what is this? It's saying that God has a time frame that we don't know the exact timing, but he has laid out that there is going to be a time frame in which we can say we are getting to the end. The latter times, Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Now, when you read that, you see again, divine perspective, prophecy, God says it's coming. Latter times, it's going to be here. And then what do we see in the day in which we live? We see see this being played out. We see people that are turning away from the faith, departing from the faith, the emergent church. We see deviations from biblical Christianity. Now, when we see this taking place, do we kind of lose it? Because, wow, look look what's happening. Well, we should be concerned and we should respond. We need to be Bereans. We need to challenge this. But we shouldn't be surprised at the emergent church. We shouldn't be surprised at liberalism. We shouldn't be surprised at the, the, the attack on the gospel, on the good news, on the word of God. We should be not surprised. There's no reason for us to be surprised when God told us in advance this was going to happen and that it would be demonically inspired, deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. And we've got it in our day as never before. Oh, there are obvious deviations from biblical Christianity, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the like. But what we have today, which is more insidious in many ways, more deceitful, is we have those who 
well, they hang around the true body of Christ and infiltrate it with their lies. And they discourage people from really embracing biblical truth and living it out. That's what we have in this day. There are a number of other passages. Let me close with one more. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. The Apostle John, speaking to his children in the faith, he says, Children, it is the last hour. The end times begin when Jesus went back to heaven, and now we await his return. This is the end times. But John says it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. But right now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. When we see the false messiahs, we actually do have those who surface in the quote in the religious realm that declare themselves to be the promised one. And so what we see when we look at these passages, we can have a divine perspective as we await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's live for him.